This is the story of two men on opposite ends of the battle over so-called fake news. In Portland, Maine, in the U.S., is Christopher Blair. There's been a lot of uses for this stuff, and I get called a monster, and I get told how horrible it is and told how harmful it is all the time. (laughs) I get a lot of that. I do also get a lot of far-left people. You're horrible. You're hurting people's feelings. You know. He's a writer of fake news and has been called the most prolific purveyor of the kinds of stories on the Internet that some people believe to be true. His stories appear to come from hardcore Republicans, supporters of President Donald Trump. College prank kills two. Malia Obama, a prime suspect. Breaking torture chamber in Bill Clinton's basement, described as a kill room. Meanwhile, over in Belgium is Martin Schenk, He's the creator of new technology that helps detect those kinds of fake stories on the internet. I want to be just a Google search away as soon as possible. Like, no, it's not true, it's satire, you've been fooled or your friends are fooling you. uh." As the complete polar opposite of the fake news writers, he knows all about the likes of Christopher Blair. Martin devotes huge amounts of time to debunking online falsehoods. I'm Mike Wendling, and you're listening to the BBC Trending Podcast from the BBC World Service. In this, the second part of a special look at fake news warfare, we look at these diametrically opposed sides in the war on falsehoods and fakery. Chris and Martin know a little bit about each other. They know the roles that they play in this online arena, and they even message on occasion. But what would happen if we sat them down and got them to speak to one another for the very first time. Anisa Subedar is our reporter, and she picks up the story where we left off in part one by telling us the role of fake news in late 2016. 2016. Fake news as we know it now came around the time Donald Trump was elected president, and that's when the phrase captured mainstream attention. Hillary Clinton used it to highlight how it was being used maliciously and called for urgent action to stop the proliferation of fake news. She called it an epidemic with real-world consequences and said it threatened America's democracy. But it was compounded into our everyday lives and vocabulary when the president-elect used it in a press conference. Your organization's terrible. Your organization's terrible. Let's go. Question, sir. Go ahead. Sir, quiet, quiet. Mr. President-elect, go ahead. She's she's asking a question. Don't be rude. I'm not going to give you a question. You You are fake news. And it was here that the words fake news became politicised. But it's also used when we talk about totally false information, photos or videos deliberately created to spread or confuse. It's this huge umbrella term that includes misinformation, disinformation, opinion, spin, and even real stories that people don't like or disagree with. It also encompasses satire or parody, which means no harm, but can still fool people. It's fake news. Ah. You know, we call it the fake news. 
Not all of them. It never tells you that it is fake news. 2017 saw the rise in the use of the term fake news and the prevalence of falsehoods online became ever greater. Fake news. A moral panic had set in hard. It was everywhere. 2017 could easily be described as the year of fake news. And writers like Christopher Blair were more successful than ever before. But by early 2018, that panic had now grown into a real problem. So much so that the founder of the world's largest social network, Facebook, vowed to tackle the issue of fake news. This is Mark Zuckerberg speaking at a Facebook developer conference in California in May of this year. People, real people who are just sharing provably false hoaxes. And the playbook here is building tools uh, to get better at flagging content that is going viral so fact checkers can look at it so we can show it less. And for the people who do see it, uh, to make sure that they see related articles that are more accurate, that put this in context so people can understand what's really going on. Mark Zuckerberg claimed his personal challenge for 2018 was to fix the social site and how it handles hate, abuse and fake news. He announced in January of this year that Facebook would be changing its newsfeed algorithm to prioritise content from friends, family and groups. We came here for the friends. And we got to know the friends of our friends. And along with those changes came an ad campaign. But then something happened. We had to deal with spam, clickbait, fake news and data misuse. That's going to change. From now on, Facebook will do more to keep you safe and protect your privacy. But for news organizations and publications, it was bad news because a lot of traffic comes from Facebook. With less prominence, some viral sites would quickly go out of business. And that meant trouble for someone like fake news writer Christopher Blair. What kind of trouble? Well, those changes on the platform meant the money he once used to make had more or less stopped. I meet him in a hotel not far from the airport in Portland, Maine, in the US. In the hour and a half we spend talking, we discuss his upbringing, his love of politics, and the transition from construction worker to fake news writer. We sit in the back end of the hotel's reception area. He stands about two metres tall and sports a magnificent beard. I don't do anything that has anything to do with Facebook anymore that I expect to make any money on. Those days are over. We've heard the kind of headlines Christopher Blair writes. Clinton Foundation ship seized at port off Baltimore carrying drugs, guns and sex slaves. Sasha and Malia Obama's biological father sues for paternity rights. They're emotionally charged, sensational and often offensive. But here's the thing. Christopher Blair is not who you think he is. I'm what's known as a liberal troll. My my purpose online is to expose the the modern American conservative. We get those people thrown off of Facebook. We do it a lot. Say what you want about me being a monster. I'm pretty proud of that. You know, I've done more to combat fake news than any fact checker I know. And what he means by that is that he's actually a hard left leaning liberal, a true blue Democrat. And he writes these headlines to bait conservative Americans to, as he says, expose their stupidity. He tells me what he writes is all satire. We are liberals masquerading as conservatives. That is the essence of satire. 
People think satire means funny. Comedy means funny. Satire is misunderstood. People who think that it has to be funny don't know what they're talking about. He says he owned and wrote liberal blogs for years before he started writing those offensive, clickbaity headlines for his Facebook page, America's Last Line of Defense, which paid him enough money to live on. But now, the money is gone. The one thing that I enjoy about it now is they've always said that I did it for the money. There hasn't been any money in six months. Go look at my page. It's active. I'm still doing it. I'm still writing. I'm still there. I still believe. And I always will. So the boom days are over. But the changes on Facebook isn't the only problem Christopher Blair has. Hot on his heels are the fake news chasers, the fact checkers, the truth hunters, the people whose job it is to make sure the information we read and share is true. It's clear when he speaks that there are some fact checkers he does not like. My beef with the fact checkers is that they're not actually fact checking. That's pretty much the bottom line. They're not accurately covering what I do. They don't ever present my lens. Do what you want to do. I couldn't care less. You're a fact checker? Fact check. Present the facts. Christopher Blair says those fact checkers ignore him as a satirist. Now, given his feelings about truth hunters, I ask him how he feels about Martin. He's been fair with us. He's always reported He's been, he's not an American fact checker. I don't don't think he cares about page views. I think fake news and satire fascinate him and he's into the truth. Over in Belgium, Martin feels Facebook's changes have altered the way fake news spreads on its platform. We're sat in the deep basement of his family home an hour east of Brussels. Upstairs, his children are playing while we sit and talk for a couple of hours about his role as a fact-checker. It's not a very big space, and certainly not high-tech. There are three computer monitors on an L-shaped desk. It's a baking hot day, so he offers me a peached iced tea from a cooler he keeps in the corner. He tells me it gets really cold in the winter. He also says he's very proud of his work and his face becomes all bright and smiley and his eyes widen with excitement when he explains the mechanics of fact-checking. He still feels it's a game of catch-up with the creators of fake news. As long as there is a potential for profit, people will keep trying and they will keep finding new filters and then they will find ways to get around the filters. And uh, So as soon as we defeat one thing... And then, yeah, they come up with some new thing, but we can't know what the new thing will be until we see it in the wild. They will exploit the vulnerability for as long as it's open, and then we patch it, and then they find a new vulnerability, and the cycle continues. But that doesn't mean you should stop patching. (laughs) It's clear from this small, quiet, suburban life that Martin really loves what he does. I ask how he feels about being part of this particular relationship between two extremely opposed sides in the fake news landscape. Do you feel like fact-checkers and fake news creators now have this symbiotic relationship as part of the overall news cycle? You're now integral to the way that an audience consumes and shares news. Um, yeah, it's it's just the same as with virus makers and virus programmers and, and, and antivirus companies. 
So if the one party stops doing their thing, the other one would lose their jobs too. So, um, but still, that doesn't mean I like the fact that there is a lot of fake news. It feels like a chess game with far more players than just two. Sometimes it feels we're all pawns in their game when it comes to the consumption of news. And there's so much to read and watch. How can we possibly know the difference between fake news, satire and the truth? Recently here at Trending, we looked at Myanmar and how Facebook there became the internet. Exclusive use of the platform instead of search engines meant the majority of Burmese sports, cultural, entertainment, political and mainstream news all came from Facebook. But it occurred to me that we could have a million Martins all fact-checking what we consume online, and it still wouldn't be enough. We, as internet users, equally have a responsibility before we react, respond, or share posts and links online. So I asked Martin for some tips on what we, the ordinary user, can do. First tip, if you're not sure, don't share, don't like, don't comment. Because that will make Facebook think it's more important than it should be. So don't do that, report it instead. So there are these, these three little dots uh, next to each post uh, where you can block the post or whatever. And there's also a button to report it. So if you see it and you, you know it's fake, report it. Next tip I would give is Google it. You will find the result, the fact check as, as one of the top results. If it's full of ads, if it's full of spelling mistakes, if there is a satire disclaimer hidden at the bottom of the page, don't share it. Check the comments. There are likely people that have seen it already uh, if it's a hoax and they, they will be saying, yeah, it's a hoax, it's fake. If it makes you angry or sad or, or if you have an emotional reaction to a story, that's what these guys are counting on. So there we have two extreme ends of fake news. They should be adversaries, enemies, rivals. But what would Chris and Martin say if they had the chance to speak to one another for the very first time? We're in the eye of the fake news storm with two people on opposite ends when it comes to the truth. Christopher Blair writes fake news. He calls himself a satirist. But how damaging is what he writes to the news cycle? Chasing people like Christopher are fact-checkers like Martin Schenk, whose job it is to look at viral stories on the internet and tell us whether they are true or not. Anissa, I'm going to continue using the analogy of chess that you brought up earlier. Okay. Because it feels like stalemate rather than checkmate. If Christopher keeps writing what he calls satire mm. and Martin keeps debunking stories like this, then nobody really wins, do they? Well, you could argue that we as readers of news and users of the internet win because as long as you have fake news, you'll now always have debunkers and fact-checkers. Now, after I'd spoken to both Chris and Martin, we got a feel for what it was like on these opposite ends that we've described. They'd both told us what it was like from their own individual perspectives. So, Mike, I came to you and proposed an idea. Yes. And I said so... We've got Chris on one end and Martin on the other. Right. And we know that they know each other. We know they've messaged on occasion. So in your capacity as editor of Trending, I said, let me go back to Maine. I'll take Martin with me. 
We'll hang out with Chris. We could eat lobster, go and visit those historical lighthouses I didn't get to see the first time round. Yes, and I said, wait right there. There's a much easier way to do this, Anissa. <laughs> of course you did. Okay, and so then we got Chris into a studio in Maine. You put me in a studio in London and we dialed Martin up on Skype. And honestly, I had no idea which way this was going to go. I'm very well. Finally, we meet. Oh, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. No, don't stop. You're going to ruin it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, we're all good to go. All righty. Right. Gentlemen, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us again. I've spoken to you both individually in your respective countries. This is the first time that you've come together to speak to one another. Is that right? Yes. Yes, it is. Martin, Chris is one of the biggest writers of, of fake news. What do you want to say to him? Um, well, I admire his writing ability, his writing skills, because he's very good at what he does. I see my job as a fact checker as to be there for people who Google, is this thing true or not? Uh, so my job is not to give an opinion about it. Is, is, is this a good thing that this story is spreading or is it a bad thing why it was written? And I know with Chris's stories, when they get copied, that there will be a lot of people Googling uh, is it really true that this uh, football coach fired three players on the spot uh, for, for kneeling during the national anthem? The story Martin is talking about here is particularly inflammatory and it's exactly the kind of story that will get people all riled up, especially Donald Trump supporters. It's rooted in American football player Colin Kaepernick, who refused to stand for the national anthem in the US to protest police violence against African-Americans in 2016. Other players followed suit, but the protest still divides the country and subsequently sparked the anger of President Trump and his supporters. That was a true story. But the story that Martin's talking about here includes John Elway, who is president of football operations for the Denver Broncos. And more than that, Anissa, he's an all-American hero. He was a star quarterback for the same team, instantly recognisable sports celebrity in America. OK, so all those details are true. But what's a lie is the story that during a Broncos-Baltimore Ravens game, John Elway stormed the field and fired three players for kneeling during the anthem. And that story, that out-and-out fake story, went viral because people thought it was true. It was ridiculous. The game didn't happen. The players didn't exist. You know, it's cut-and-dry standard stuff that we do. I, I wrote the story because our fan base, they connect with any story where a white person in authority is yelling at black people. So that's the basis for the story, to get the people to engage with the story, to get the people who we target to come to the page, to comment, so on and so forth. Chris, Martin wants to close you down. Essentially, that's what he's doing. How does that make you feel? Um... I don't know that he wants to close me down, or maybe he does. I Everybody has their their goals in life, I guess. Um, <laughs> you're welcome to try. Um, Facebook is uh, actually... I can, you know, I can most definitely assure you that I'm not trying to, to shut you down. down? Yeah, I, I, when I, some I, real people got impacted, um, I've also called you out on that when, when you yep. used uh, the picture of the real imam from Canada. Yep. Mm-hmm. In I actually... I, so you apologized. I, so uh, I did. Yeah. That's true. He never responded, but I apologized on every venue I could find. 
This is a completely false story about a made-up mosque in Texas, the Ramashan Mosque, and a made-up imam, Imam Aswat Turitz, who refused to shelter non-Muslims during a hurricane at the end of last year. That story was a complete fabrication, but it used the real photo of a real imam, Ibrahim Hindi, a Canadian imam from Toronto. It feels like an endless game of chess, except there is no end game, no finish line, no winners. Martin, you're never going to be able to debunk all the fake news and expose it for what it is. So why bother? Yeah, my goal is not to debunk every last bit of fake news on the internet. If we can knock enough of them down at an early stage and reach enough people, then um, I feel we've done our jobs teaching people, hey, you should Google this stuff before clicking like and share. When I started looking into this story, I expected this particular relationship between fake news writer, or as Chris calls himself, satirist, and Martin as fact checker, to be predictably combative. But it's not. It's one that smacks of mutual respect and, in a way, admiration. They need each other to survive in the mire of online misinformation. Chris is happy to write stories about people and events that don't exist or didn't happen with his disclaimers that it's all to entertain. And Martin's machine picks it up and tells the world that it's not true. And so the cycle continues. This is the first time you two have spoken to one another. I feel like the gooseberry in this bromance, I have to say. <laughs> if you wanted to say one thing to each other, what would that be? Don't ever stop doing what you're doing. Likewise. Enjoy it. So not rivals, opponents, or a game of heroes and villains. What we have here is the writer and the truth hunter. Together, they keep the cycle that is now part of our everyday lives as consumers of news turning. In this cosy little cottage industry, they define one another. They need each other. But what does the future hold for our writer and checker here? Chris tells us he will never stop writing, money or no money, and that he's driven by a cause. But while Martin says it's his fact-checking hard work has been noticed outside his basement in Belgium, and hence his world is about to change. That's it for this edition of the BBC Trending Podcast. My thanks to our reporter, Anissa Subedar, and our studio managers were Rod Farker and Neil Churchill. We do like it when you get in touch, so please look us up on Facebook or on Twitter. Just search for BBC Trending. This program is part of a BBC series called Beyond Fake News. You can search for that phrase online if you want to know more. We've got a wealth of stories online for you. And if, like me, you like to listen to other podcasts, let me suggest another one that comes from the BBC World Service. It's called World Hacks. And here's a member of the team to tell us more. It's actually called People Fixing the World. Yeah. It's called People Fixing the World from our colleagues here at the BBC World Service. This week on People Fixing the World, we're looking at quite a sensitive subject. And if you're a parent or look after children, you might find it particularly interesting. Do you remember those Stranger Danger videos? The ones that governments used to play warning you about the dangers of talking to people as a child 
that you didn't know. Well, they've kind of fallen out of fashion in recent years, but a UK charity called Action Against Abduction now has a new kind of message, which it thinks can empower children, keep them safe, but also make them less afraid of the world around them. Go to People Fixing the World wherever you get your podcasts, and that will be the most recent one in your feed. And from all of us here at Trending, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>